0: Let's pray. God, we love you. We came here this morning to bring you all glory and honor and praise. We came here because you alone, God, are worthy. God, I pray that whatever ego and whatever pride came through those doors with us this morning, that you would prune all that away, that you would burn it up like chaff from our mitts so that the ears of our heart could truly hear from you, that we would be transformed you would teach us and instruct us in the way that we should go in the path of righteousness so that not only that we could get to heaven and avoid being in trouble in hell for all eternity but God we want to be in your presence we want to sing your praises and we want to worship you because you are worthy Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that he leads us and that he guides us. And I pray that he would be present in this room this morning. Because of him, there's nothing to love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been in a series called Back to the Basics. And over the last several weeks, we've been talking about this idea about purpose and function. Many of you may be sitting there saying, we've heard it already, Pastor, let's move on. And I will, but I'm just going to real briefly touch on the point that we're going to make today, and then we'll move into it. The Spirit of God is the only thing of any value to distinguish us from all the nonsense, lies, and sin in and of the world. That point's going to come up later on in the... Slide so if you didn't get it all down, it's, you're going to see it again. In Revelation 1, 5 through 6, it reads, "Who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and has made us a kingdom. Priests to His God and Father, to Him be glory and power forever and ever. And when you read that, hopefully you see purpose and function, purpose to glorify God in all things at all times forever. Hopefully you see that because that's our exclusive purpose. There's nothing else. That's it. And hopefully you see function, see, because priests are people who are supposed to do something. They're supposed to do something in the temple of God. They're supposed to perform a function as mediators between this almighty triune God of Father, Son, and Spirit and lost and depraved, sinful humanity. That's what it is to be a priest. And so when you read this from Revelation chapter 1, 5, and 6, hopefully you see our purpose and our function together. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. But see, there's this problem that we just talked about with these kids during Poetry Pals. The reason why we can't do that, the reason why we mess up purpose, and the reason why we get function all twisted and contorted and perverted is because there's this thing called sin. And unlike everything else in the entire cosmos, Humanity, we're the only ones that have messed this up. We're the only ones, see, because the stars still shine, the sun still burns hot, the water is still wet, the air and the wind still blow, trees still grow. Everything else serves its purpose, it glorifies God. Everything else has its function and is functioning except for humanity because there's this problem of sin. In Romans 14, 23, the end of that verse, Paul writes and he says that everything not from faith is sin. Everything not from faith is sin. See, we've got this vast discrepancy between the things that we want to do, the things that we think are really great ideas, The things that are purposed in and of our flesh. And then there's this whole other side over here that comes from faith. Faith in God that brings honor and glory and praise to his name. And those two things are as far as the east is from the west. There's this problem of sin. We might think, well, if only I could him you ever had that thought go through your mind? If only, if only Jesus were just to to show up. If, if maybe instead of Andrew being here today, what if, what if Jesus was the one rocking on the acoustic guitar? What if instead of Angela playing the piano? What if instead of Pastor Kevin and all of his brokenness and his failures? Instead of in his flesh, what if Jesus were to show up and he was the one that was to preach? Then, then, if only I could see him. See, the problem is, is that when we allow thoughts like that to get into our minds, we say that, you know what, if, if I had been in Eden, if that had been me, see, God was there and Adam could see him and where'd we end up? And so when you start to say, well, if only I, see, I I think I could do a better job than Adam. I think I could do a better job than Eve. Maybe if that serpent was having that conversation with me, I'd break out one of my systematic theology books, Maybe I'd, I'd go to the internet and I'd Google something real quick and then I'd have an answer for him. Well, did God really say? Well, yeah, it does. And I've got it in 42 different translations right here, what God said. If only I could see him, right? But see, even before sin was in the system, even before sin was in the system, human beings still had this inclination, this proclivity, this tendency towards Rebellion and turning our backs on God, even before the fall. God said, for when you eat it, when, not if, God knew it's going to happen. It's around the corner. When you eat it, Adam, see, you're going to die. But we would say that if, if, if only I could see him, then I wouldn't sin. If only he were here, right? See, the Israelites, they had this God that was with them in their presence in the tabernacle, and he moved with them. And during the day, he would be this pillar of fire, and they could all say, there's our God. And we would say, well, how come he doesn't do that for us today? How come Poetry Baptist Church doesn't have a big pillar of, fire shooting out from the ground out in front of it because if that happened then then i'd believe then i'd sin then i wouldn't sin anymore right and if that's the thought that's going through your mind then you're delusional see because adam and eve sinned and he was with them in the garden And the nation of Israel sinned, and God was with them. He parted the ocean. He delivered them from slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. And he brought them out, Scripture tells us, as on eagles' wings. And he did all of these miracles. And he sustained them with manna from heaven. And what was the result? A nation that adopted idols... And turn their back on God over and over and over and over again. So maybe we say, now if you obey me, my voice, God says, and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you'll be my treasure. You'll be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, that was the designation that God made for the nation of Israel. Not because they were better than anybody else not because God liked the color of their skin or the curls on the sides of their head, not because they wore nifty little wooden boxes on their foreheads, not because they had shawls and tassels, not because they lived in a certain place, but because God does what God wants to do. And God made a promise to Eve back in the garden that what he was going to do is that he was going to redeem humanity. As a matter of fact, that He was going to come, and the offspring of the woman was going to crush the head of the serpent. And it foreshadowed Jesus Christ going to the cross. So when we say that, it's like, well, if only he was here, if, if only I could see him, if I could reach out and I could touch him, then, then I'd believe. And God tells us through scripture over and over again, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. What if I was alive during the, the time and the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul, right? What if then, if only I knew for sure, if I could talk to Paul, the great missionary that he was, and if maybe I sat at him and I didn't have what people say is a translation of a translation of a translation, which is false, by the way. If, if I could have heard it from Paul, then, then I'd believe. God says, no, you wouldn't. Do you realize that virtually every one of the New Testament letters that Paul wrote was to a church that was caught up in heresy and sin? Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians, Corinthians. Oh, those Corinthians. And he says to them in his second letter, examine whether you were in the faith because it was clear they weren't. He's writing to them because they're stuck in their sin. And Paul says to them, I don't want you to be deluded. I don't want you to be lost and stuck in your sin, thinking that everything's okay. So what I want you to do, Paul writes, examine whether you're in the faith. See, there's a standard. There's a way that you can know. You don't just cross your fingers, ask Jesus into your heart, And as someone I was talking with years ago, they say, and then when I get to the pearly gates, I'm just gonna (sighs) hope for the best. God, I've got my fingers crossed. I said prayers, I went to church, I checked boxes, I even served. And Jesus says, away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Examine whether you're in the faith. Test yourself do you not realize Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. We might think that sin is this external thing that happens to us, but it's not. Before it was even in the system. Have you ever seen those big, giant rocks that are just balanced precariously on top of another and you're like, how did that happen? How did that happen? 200 ton rock how is it balanced up on top of that other rock and as erosion happened and things fell away that that rock is just sitting there see that's like sin inside of us it's this potential energy that it's just going to take the right conditions and then something's going to happen and see that wasn't jesus Jesus didn't ever have the potential to sin. And so when the devil came and he tried to tempt him and he said, "Jesus, what if what if you turn those what if you made food for yourself?" And Jesus isn't like us. He's not that big giant rock with all that potential sin energy ready to fall because all the devil has to do is figure out what your thing is. He's just got to figure out what your thing is. And then he's going to come back and he's going to say, Vincent, 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 and maybe not today, and maybe not tomorrow, but at some point, your thing, he's going to get there. Maybe it's impatience. Maybe it's frustration. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's something else. But at some point, he gets us. He got Adam and he got Eve because that big giant rock of sin potential was just sitting there and it hadn't happened yet. But under the right conditions, God knew it would. And he said, so when you eat that fruit, so the problem that we have is one of perspective. We think sin is this external thing or we think that it's just bad things that we do. I just didn't really make a good choice. You know, I should have had, I should have had the, the, the salad instead of the french fries. That's what we think of as sin. It's just bad things that we do, but it's not. It's not this external thing. Remember we said sin is anything that doesn't come from faith. You ever think about that? When you wake up in the morning, do you call out to God and you say, God, see, I want to be over here. I want everything that I do at every second of every moment all day long to be faith because I know if it's not, it's going to be over here. It's going to be sin. And then we just kind of get on autopilot. And you know where autopilot leads us? It leads us right down the path to death. Sin's not external, folks. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, he said, I do not understand what I do. This is Paul, the rock star. It doesn't say Saul prior to his conversion. This is Paul, the one who allowed himself to be beaten and shipwrecked. And he was stoned and persecuted. He was naked and cold and he went from city to city. And we can look and we can see his missionary journeys all over. And Paul, that same man, wrote, I don't understand what I do. I don't understand it. See, because there's this thing that I want to do. I want to act in faith. I want to be over here, God, and I want to glorify you with every breath in every moment at all times. I want to do that. But the problem is, is the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. I'm over here, Paul. Paul! And if that's true for Paul, what hope is there for Kevin? I do the things that I don't want to do. Instead, what I hate, that's what I do. And if I do what I don't want to, what does it say? It's sin. Not out there in the world, but it's sin in me. Paul, converted, sealed by the Spirit, and the tendrils of sin were still reaching out, and they still had their hand on him, and they were still trying to pull him down into the grave. And if you don't realize that and you wake up every day and you just turn on your autopilot, I'm good. I don't really need to spend time in the Word. I don't really need to know anything about Jesus. I don't really need to check in with a pastor. I don't really need to get with anybody in the church. I don't really need to stay in contact with the guys. I don't need to respond to anything because it doesn't apply to me. that text that post that prayer didn't have anything to do with me i'm good i'm on the mountaintop today boy all you suckers down there struggling you guys can pray you can read the bible i got a good i just got a promotion i just got a new ride we just moved into a new house what do i need you for All the things that I don't want to do, that's what I do. Things that I want to do, I don't do. Paul. See, sin is not this external thing, but we think that it is. And so we blew that one. And then instead of thinking as faith as being this external gift that comes from God, we think that faith is just, hey, let me me just ask Jesus into my heart. Right, I'm just going to ask Jesus into my heart. That's what the pastor said I need to do. And I want you to know that this pastor has never said that. Stop asking Jesus into your heart. See, that's not it. Because we're stuck in this sin party just lavishing sin and joy. And oh, God, I feel so good over here. It's all about me. And God says, but you got to turn away from that. See, because there's no way that you can glorify me while you're over here in sin, what I need you to do is I need you to act out of faith. I need you to do the things that I say you need to do. You need to have the purpose that I've ordained for you and that's to glorify me in all things, in every moment, forever. Faith comes externally. I don't know if you've read the book of Ephesians, but there's a verse in there, 2.8, it says, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. And see, God, if the Holy Spirit hasn't come in you yet and blessed you with the gift of faith, then it's not internal yet. So faith can't be an internal thing. It's external. It comes from this transcendent God. I'm going somewhere, so what's the solution? And it's not just the solution that we come up with of like, I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to ask Jesus into my heart. I'm going to pray that special prayer while the twinkly music is playing, and I, I feel bad about the things that I've done, about bad choices that I made, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna. Promise God, I'm just going to get over here and I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to promise God, God, this time, this time I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better, God. And God says, that's not what I want for you. That's not going to fix anything. That's not going to change anything. It's not an emotional response. It's a recognition of our sin party. And God needs us to literally turn away from that to him. The unselfish solution. So how do we do it? Transformations required. I was having a conversation with someone this week. And we were talking about some of the folks that have left our church over the last several months, maybe over the last year, year and a half. And he said, why do you think that happens? And I said, well, the the truth is, I said, I just think that there are some people that they don't, like, they don't like to be convicted because I've never had someone who's come up to me and said, Pastor Kevin, uh, your take on that sermon, on that scripture, uh, I've got some problems with that. I've got some problems with your theology about your understanding of the Holy Trinity, about your doctrine of grace and sin, about your doctrine of ecclesiology. I've never had anyone say that, but yet we've had people leave our church we've had some folks who have left because they said, you know what, pastor, I just don't think I can do what you're telling me needs to be done. And we're not talking about mowing the lawn or sweeping the floors. We're talking about folks that, see, God says that there's transformation required. It's not okay that you stay over here in your sin party and read your Bible. It's not Okay. That there's a change that has to happen and it comes from outside. And we can't do it. And so God says, What you got to do is you've got to call out to me. My son went to the cross, paid for you with his blood so that you wouldn't have to stay there stuck in your sin. Would you do that? Would you turn away from your selfish life? Would you call out to me? Because that's why Jesus came. Not just so that you could be comfortable and find a church where you like the people and you like the songs. Maybe you like the preaching or maybe you don't. Because see, what's gonna end up happening is that if you go somewhere else where somebody's preaching a different gospel and you say, that's a church that I can, that's a church that I can identify with, what you're really saying is that you're okay with staying over here in your sin. So there's transformation that's required. David, who wrote many of the Psalms, called out to God and he said, God, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. How do we glorify God? How do we turn away from our sin? See, it's this external thing. Grant in me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's from Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. But that's not where David left it. So why did David pray that prayer? Why did David pray that prayer from Psalm 51? Create in me a pure heart, O God. God. Why did David pray and ask God not to cast him from his presence or take his Holy Spirit from him? Why did David pray and say, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to save me? Why? Was it for hell insurance? Is that what David wanted? Did David just simply want to be saved from hell? We shake our heads and we say no, but oftentimes I think that that's our answer, right? That's the reason why we call out to God. God... Do a work in me so that I don't have to go to hell. And then we shoot for the bare minimum, right? Do we really want to serve? Do we really want to be poured out? Do we really want to be conformed in the image of Christ? Did David want to be religious? Is that why David prayed that? Because David wanted to be the guy who ran the church business meeting? Because he wanted to be important? Because he wanted to check a box? Is that why David prayed that prayer? I don't think so. Did David pray that prayer as just a salve? Just a balm for his sin? You know, when you cut yourself or you you get an insect bite and you just kind of want to put some neosporin or something on it just to kind of make it feel better? But isn't that why so many people go to church? I don't really want to be transformed. That's why they come and they hear the gospel and they say, that's hard. And so what we're going to do, Kevin, is we're going to go somewhere else where nobody tells me that I have to change. Nobody tells me that I actually need to do something, that I actually have to turn away from my sin party, where I just get to show up on Sunday, I get to sing a few songs, and then I get to kind of just go back to the world for 99.9% of the rest of the week. Is that why David did it? Psalm 51 goes on. David tells us why he did it because he says then in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn to you. Do you see that? Why did David call for God's spirit? Why did he call to be changed so that I can teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you? Deliver me, you who are God my savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. When you were singing this morning, did you say, you know what, I don't really like that song, so I'm not gonna sing. I don't, I don't really know that one that well or it feels a little awkward. I, I feel like maybe I'm not good enough. Do you think that's what David did? Do you think that David sat there and he, and he cried out to God and he said, God, what I want to be able to do is I want to be able to sing to you with everything that I've got and I'm not standing there with my arms folded. Well, I'm going to be embarrassed if I miss a note. David said when he came in with the ark, he said, I will be even more undignified than this. He didn't care what other people thought. So when you sang today, were you singing with everything that you had? Because that's what David did. There's an entire book in the Bible that's filled with music that erupted from a heart that wanted to glorify God. Does that even remotely identify with you? Do you have a heart that wakes up each and every morning and says, thank you for salvation, God. I have to sing to you when it comes on the radio. I don't even care what the song is. I'm gonna sing. It's 51, 13 through 15. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners return to you. Deliver me, you who are God my savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord and my mouth will declare your praise. Has that been you this week? Have you declared God's praise at any point? Have you sung to him? Have you taught transgressors his ways? Or do you say, that's Pastor Kevin's job. I didn't go to seminary. You know what, David didn't either. Ouch. Ouch. I want you to look here because we've been talking about purpose and function. Purpose and function. Revelation 1, 5 to 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom of priests. Or I'm sorry, made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Purpose and function. Purpose and function. Glorify God. And here we are. All of that was just a prelude to the sermon today. Now the real stuff begins. Exodus. Beginning in verse 12. The whole thing's not up on the screen because I'd have to make the font really tiny and then no one would see it. Beginning in verse 12, going through verse 17. Moses said to the Lord, look. You've told me, speaking to God, lead this people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. You said, I know you, Moses, by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if I have indeed found favor with you, God, please teach me your ways, and I will know you, so that I may find favor with you. Now, consider this nation is your people. And he replied, that's God, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses' immediate response, see, because he's still so terrified at the idea of taking even one tiny step without God's presence, terrified. So he doesn't even hear that God just said, my presence will go with you because The nation of Israel has just gotten into their sin party with the golden calf. That's what happened in chapter 32, and Moses is terrified, and he says, if your presence does not go, Moses responded, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? How else will I and your people be distinguished from any of the other nations and people on the face of the earth? How? See, Moses begs to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Have you ever prayed a prayer where you woke up in the morning and you said, God, I don't want to be over here. I don't want the things that I do to... Just be disgusting to you, to be an abomination to you, God. I want everything that I do today, every breath that I take, I want every moment, every thought taken captive and made obedient to Christ. I want that to be faith. I want that to be my song. I want that to be my life. That's what I want, God. That was Moses' prayer. Unless you go with us, how else will we be distinguished from all the other people on the face of the earth? Here was Moses, this man that was the holy leader that seen God in the bush, that he'd been to the mountaintop, that he'd received the tablets from God that were written with the law, And Moses didn't say, what else besides the tablet that you gave me? What else besides the tabernacle that you're about to fashion? What else besides our dress code? What else besides it? No. What else besides your presence? Nothing. Is that who we are? Is that who we are, folks? Or do we say that our Baptist distinctives, that's where we're gonna hang our hat. We're gonna go to our website and our doctrine in the way that we're a little bit different than Methodists and Pentecostals and Presbyterians and Episcopalians. That's where we're gonna hang our hat. That's how we're better than those other guys down the street, right? And Moses said, it's your presence and nothing else would distinguish us. One of our core values here at Poetry Baptist Church is desperate dependency. It's been a little bit over a year since we put those core values out and I just wonder how many of you would know any of them other than desperate dependency. See, the things that you value are part of who you are sharing with those kids this morning and we said that we don't just glorify Jesus we don't just worship him and say that he's worthy because he went to the cross because he did something for us that's what makes him worthy that's wrong see he went to the cross as an expression and an extension of who he is what's the extension and the expression of who you are are you desperately dependent on God? Or do you have everything kind of figured out? Are you good? And God, I'm just going to check in with you, you know, when, when things don't really work out so great. When things in my life start to go sideways, when I find out that my mom or dad has cancer, when I find out that one of my kids needs a kidney transplant, when I find out that a friend of mine has leukemia, when I lose a baby, when I lose my job, when things don't go my way the way that I want them to, and in my timing, is that when you call out to God? Desperate dependency. The truth is, is that we need the Holy Spirit. not just us here at Poetry Baptist Church, but human beings. All of us. And I wonder, do the ministries of our church reflect that? Do the ministries of our church truly reflect that? Are we truly pursuing, winning, and discipling the lost, the deluded, and the disillusioned for God's glory? Because I don't know that every church has that mindset. I think a lot of churches have the mindset of what we want to do is we want to attract other church people We want to attract other church people. And if they got a lot of money in their pockets, that's even better, right? Because if we get some big givers, then we can do some really cool stuff. We can build a Ferris wheel out there. We can have a really cool playground. We can start talking about all the other stuff. What about right here? What prevented you from inviting somebody to come here this week? Maybe you did. Maybe you were like David and you said, God, I, I want to teach transgressors. I want to I sing. I want to be able to lift my voice. Maybe you did and maybe they just didn't show up. But for maybe some of us, we didn't really invite anyone. Not overtly. We just said, well, they know where I go to church. We all need the Holy Spirit. And John, the Gospel of John Chapter three, verse three, John wrote, this is Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you, he's speaking to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And as I was studying this week, I was convicted. And I really feel like God taught me something from this verse is that I always thought of it as like, this is like, you won't see the kingdom of God. You're not gonna get to go to heaven. And the truth is, is that if you're not born again of the spirit, is that you're not gonna see the kingdom of God. You're not gonna see the kingdom of God. So when you wake up in the morning, what you see is your kingdom. And the reason why you don't call out to God from over here and say, God, please, I need your spirit to fall on me. Because I got nothing. Is that how you feel? Or do you say, you know what, I'm I'm pretty cool. I got some stuff to offer. I'm pretty good at my job. My boss likes me. I'm a real ladies man. The girls at school kind of dig me. I'm pretty smart. I've got some degrees. I've got a lot of influence in the world. There's a lot of stuff that I have to offer. You don't see the kingdom of God. Are you desperately dependent in every moment at all times? See, because if you're not, you may have been saved and redeemed by God, but everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. John said earlier in his gospel, children born not of physical birth from human passions or a plan, but born of God. Is that you? Have you been born of God? This is what we started off with, the point for today. The Spirit of God is the only thing of any value to distinguish us from all the nonsense, lies, and sin in and of the world. As a church, our vision is a spirit-led church revealing Christ through unity and worship. And when you read that from this day forward, I hope that you understand that first part. What does it mean to be spirit-led? Does that mean that, that Pastor Kevin wants us to stop being Baptists and we're going to start being Pentecostals? We're going to be charismatic and we're going to have healing services and he's going to lay hands on people and we're going to speak in tongues. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is that there's nothing that will distinguish us from all the other peoples on earth except for the Spirit of God. And so I have a couple of questions for you first one's really a statement if that's not me you should be saying this to yourself if that's not me it can't be us see because the church isn't the building right the church isn't the building it's the people and if poetry baptist church doesn't consist of members who are born again by the holy spirit if that's not me then that can't be us if that's not me that can't be us if we don't see the kingdom of God, then we're not going to see people the way that God sees people. So the next one's a question. That is us. That's who we are. And I've had conversations with some of you in here and we say, you know what? If we get down to just like two or three families that love Jesus and that are desperately dependent Distinguished by nothing else except the Holy Spirit, if that's what we get down to, then we're okay with that. See, because we're not shooting for numbers. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but I am not Joel Osteen. I'm not. And I'm not shooting for packing a stadium full of tens of thousands of people so that I can say that I've got more people in my congregation than anyone else. And I wonder, is God even remotely impressed by that? And I already know the answer. No, he's not. Because when you start telling people that there's no transformation required, you know what, you just stay in your sin party. And as long as you're nice to your neighbor and you do good things, and you write a big tithe check, as long as you do that, God bless you. God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. That's us. Is it you? And this is my last slide. John, go ahead and crank up the invitation music for me, please. Wait until the Lord comes. He will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of the heart At that time, each will receive their fitting appraisal from God. I want you to marinate on that. Wait until the Lord comes. See, Jesus is coming back, folks, and he's not gonna be impressed on anything about what we do, what we've said, about the ministries of our church, about our building projects, about any of it. The only thing that's gonna matter is is he's gonna bring to light what's hidden in darkness and expose the motives of our heart. When he peers in and he looks at your heart, there's nothing that you can hide. There's nothing that you can hide. And it says right at the end, at that time, each will receive their fitting appraisal from God. See, what God's gonna do is he's gonna separate. Did you have my spirit in you? Did you have faith and trust in my son that when he said, go somewhere that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, you say, yes, Lord, just like Abram did. When he told you to do something, he said, you know what, God, I've got a job and I've got a family to take care of and I'm probably not hearing you right. Do you think that's what Paul said? See, it says that at that time, each will receive their fitting appraisal from god god's not going to judge you based on pastor kevin's preaching whether you liked it or not he's going to judge you whether or not there is that one thing that distinguishes you from all the other people on the face of the earth let's pray god we love you and i pray this morning maybe that there's someone here that they realize that that day of judgment's coming And they realize as they heard from the word that the only thing that's gonna distinguish them from everyone else on the face of the earth is your spirit residing in them. Maybe it's one of our little kiddos. Maybe it's someone who's older. Maybe it's one of our teenagers who, back in the day, they prayed the prayer and they asked Jesus into their heart and they said, hmm, hmm. God, make us a church that's spirit-led. Help us to see your kingdom. Help us to see people the way that you see people. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. During the invitation today, I don't ever do an elaborate invitation. I'm just gonna ask you to respond.